Excellent. If you guys can uh, have your seats and open your Bibles, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9 this morning. That's going to be our passage of Scripture. I mentioned during the uh, break that we are in the midst of a series entitled Five Solas of the Reformation. And um, we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. And so if you could open up your Bibles and uh, read together with me, that would be great. Let's read God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. The title of the message this morning is, By Grace Alone. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this opportunity to gather together and hear your word preached this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray for your power, your anointing to be upon the preaching of your word so that you might touch all of our hearts and ignite fresh passion and love for Christ Jesus in our hearts this morning. Help us as we look at by grace alone, and that wonderful, glorious sola gratia, Lord, the fact that we have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Lord, help that truth to come home into our hearts and breathe fresh assurance and confidence in our souls. Lord, if there's anybody here who's never repented of their sins and trusted in Jesus, Lord, I pray that they would do so during the service. There's salvation in no one else except in Jesus Christ, and you will save by grace anybody who repents of their sins and turns to you in faith this morning. And for all of us as the church, Lord, strengthen us and deepen our faith. And Lord, help us to marvel and to worship you with even greater awe and wonder, because you are a God of amazing grace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a wonderful quote by Charles Spurgeon recalling the days when he first got saved when he was age 16. And Spurgeon shares this reflection of when he was 16 years old and and he's reflecting on how it was that he came to be saved. And he says this, When I was coming to Christ, I thought I was doing it all myself. And though I sought the Lord earnestly, I had no idea that the Lord was seeking me. 
I do not think the young convert is at first aware of this. I can recall the very day and the hour when first I received those truths, the, the doctrines of sovereign overcoming grace in my own soul, when they were, as John Bunyan says, burnt into my heart as with a hot iron. And I can recollect how I felt that I had grown on a sudden from a, from a babe into a man and that I had made progress in scriptural knowledge, though having found once for all that clue to the truth of God. One weeknight when I was sitting in the house of God, the thought struck me. How did you come to be a Christian? I sought the Lord. But how did you come to seek the Lord? This is his mind, he's thinking. The thought flashed across my mind in a moment. I, I should not have thought, I, I should not have sought him unless there had been some previous influence in my mind to make me seek him. I prayed, thought I. But then I asked myself, how came I to pray? I was induced to pray by reading the scriptures. But how came I to read the scriptures? I did read them, but what led me to do so? Then in a moment, I saw that God was at the bottom of it all. And that He was the author of my faith. And so the whole doctrine of grace opened up to me. And from that doctrine, I have not departed to this day. And I desire to make this my constant confession. I ascribe my change wholly to God. I ascribe my change wholly to God. So church, what about you? Do you ascribe your salvation wholly to God? Do you see God at the bottom of it all with your salvation story? The doctrine of sola gratia or grace alone is meant to cause us to see that God is at the bottom of it all for all of us who have trusted in Jesus. And I pray that like Spurgeon, one of the effects of this sermon today and the word of God upon your soul would be that you and I ascribe our change wholly to God. And that when we look at why we're here each week, worshiping the Lord like we are, we never have the thought cross our mind, I'm a little bit better than some of the other people in the world. Sola gratia causes us to give all the glory to God for our salvation and to take none of it for ourselves. You see that here in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And before we get into mining that section out, I want to just highlight a few things that about grace. Let me give you just a, a definition of grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. God's unmerited favor in Christ to sinners who deserve His wrath. Grace is God's unmerited 
favor in Christ to sinners who deserve His wrath. You may have heard that definition even before. There's a lot of misunderstandings about grace that are common and are out there, and it's good to focus on those for a few moments. Grace is not simply a divine tendency in God to overlook sin as an overindulgent parent might when dealing with a naughty child. Grace is not God turning a blind eye to our rebellion. It's not God grading on a curve. Grace is far more than any of that. Grace is connected to God's being and God's action, and especially God's action in Jesus Christ. It's costly. And it's never to be treated in a light fashion as if it were something cheap. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, writes this, Cheap grace is the deadly enemy of the church. We are fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means the justification of sin without the justification of the sinner. Costly grace is costly because it cost God the life of His Son. Costly grace is costly because it cost God the life of His Son. Indeed, brothers and sisters, it cost God the life of His Son in order for us to be forgiven of our sins and declared righteous in Christ. And so we, like Bonhoeffer said, should never take grace lightly. She would never regard it cheaply, but should always remember the great cost that it cost God in giving up the life of His Son. I was in care group this past week with Alex Swan's care group on Friday night, and we were just talking about our children and how many of us, we just feel like, oh my goodness, my child, my children, I love them so much. I don't even, I can't even ponder what in the world I would do if something ever happened to them. And we marveled together as a group as we were pondering that thought that moments like that are moments for us to think how great it was of a sacrifice that God the Father sent His only Son to die for His enemies, to reconcile us to Himself. And as much as we love our children, it doesn't compare to how much God loves our children, and it doesn't compare to how much God loves and has loved His Son. And yet He gave Him up for us all. Carl Truman writing about this, we chose death, We chose death when we chose sin. And God responded by sending His Son to die in our place. Oh, that ought to rock our worlds, brothers and sisters. That should never get old. That God sent His Son to die in our place when we chose death. And Truman writes, Sin is violent, lethal rebellion against God. And biblical grace is God's violent, raw, and bloody response. Christ is grace personified. I love that. To talk about grace is to talk about Christ. 
Oh, brothers and sisters, when we think about that we are saved by grace alone, I think about the story of when I was a young man in school and we would get done one marking period where maybe my grades weren't as good as I wished them to be. And then you transition to a new marking period and there was this thought of, oh man, great, I finally got a clean slate. You remember that feeling of a new marking period or a new school year where you could kind of try to make things new this next season or this next marking period or this next year? Oh, brothers and sisters, grace isn't God giving you a clean slate and then saying, okay, listen, next marking period, now, now, do better now. Grace is the fact that God has chosen to credit Christ's perfect straight A-plus report card to our straight F account. And we are declared righteous in Christ as we sung about this morning. I remember uh, my mom would talk to me about, as a Roman Catholic growing up, how when she would go to the confessional and confess to the priest that she would walk out of the confessional confessional and she would feel all clean because she confessed her sins to the priest but then she just knew that as 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 life went on from there there would be a time where she would need to return to to the confessional like all of us would because of our sin and there was this sense of 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 getting clean at the confessional and then getting dirty again and then getting clean at the confessional and but there was no assurance of salvation with that there was no sense of a once for all sacrifice that cleansed her completely of her sin and how blown away she was to think about the truth that God loved her so much that if she was the only sinner that was ever born, God still would have loved her and sent Jesus to die for her. And that personal love of God in Jesus Christ came home to her heart and she was born again and saved right in the midst of being pregnant with her son, me. And God changed her life. And that sense of being not dirty anymore, but being all clean, stayed because of grace alone. Brothers and sisters, grace is not a clean slate so that you can do better now. Grace is not a second chance and then you mess it up again and then a third chance and then a fourth chance. Grace is so much better than that. Grace is, it is finished. And the difference that this can make in your life is transformative. Because you recognize that God is not lenient toward our sin. He takes our sin absolutely seriously in a way that we don't. And He never looks lightly on sin or merely sweeps sin under the carpet. God always deals with full justice and full wrath against sin. But the good news of God's grace is that full justice and that full wrath against our sin. For the believer, it was fully spent On Jesus. It was fully exhausted on Jesus as he died on the cross for you, my friend. And that is the good news of the glorious gospel of God's grace. It is finished. 
is the cry of sola gratia. There's nothing that we need to earn. We receive the free gift of salvation as a gift of God's grace. And that is good news for weary sinners who are here this morning. And I pray that this truth would encourage your heart as we see it here in this passage. i got four points in relation to grace alone. Grace alone means, number one, every Christian story is life from the dead. Every Christian story is life from the dead. I take that here from Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead, verse 1, in the trespasses and sins. Read with me. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And this is talking about all of us. Without exception, we were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. All of us following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, following Satan himself, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Again, this is what dominated our lives. The passions of the flesh, the lusts of the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Look at verse 4. But God. Shannon uh, has a plaque up on our wall in, in our house. And it's in our family room. And it just says, but God. But God. Those two words describe God's active intervention into the midst of our hopeless situation and our rebellion and our sin. Look at what He does. Being rich in mercy, God, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, He loved us. Our church verse, Romans 5.8, I love it. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There's a love with which He loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, marvel at the love and the mercy and the grace of our God. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He made us alive when we were formerly dead in our trespasses and sins. One Christian writes that human beings are as passive as corpses in securing their own salvation from sin. We do not need spiritual healing for that would imply that we are merely in need of repair. We need spiritual resurrection. Grace is not God giving wholesome advice or a helping hand. It is God raising someone from the dead. First Christ, and then those who are in Christ. Every single salvation story of every Christian in this room is a miracle. It is a miracle story of God raising you from spiritual death to spiritual life. And no less than that. And so there is no such thing as a boring testimony. Every testimony, let it be heralded from the young child that gets born again and baptized to, to the oldest saint that 
gets saved on their deathbed and gets baptized and believes in Christ and is saved. Brothers and sisters, every salvation story is a miracle because it's life from the dead every single time. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins. We were like the walking dead, walking around dead. And often when you hear about salvation described, the idea is that of someone being thrown a lifeline out into the water. And the story is, God threw me a lifeline and I grabbed the rope and he pulled me into safety. Brothers and sisters, that doesn't quite cut it because that would imply that the body in the water is alive. There was no grabbing. There was no, I grabbed the rope. Sola gratia means that it's more like this. This is our salvation story. I'm fascinated by the Marianas Trench over off the coast of the Philippines. Fascinated by it. The deepest part of the ocean is known as the Challenger Deep in the Marianas Trench. 35,814 feet down. All of us were like corpses at the bottom of Challenger Deep. And God in salvation reaches all the way down into the depths of our depravity and our sinfulness. And He lays hold of you. And He lays hold of me, sinner. Dead in trespasses and sins, sinner. And snatches us up from the depths and made us alive together with Christ. We see this emphasized. He made us alive together with Christ. Verse 4, by grace you have been saved. Verse 5, by grace you have been saved. We're talking about not just mere repair, not mere healing, though God heals and praise God for healing. Your story and mine is that of your life being raised from the dead. My uh, my father Blair fought in the Vietnam War, and one of his best friends had. A friend right before he left from Vietnam was about ready to escape to come home. And the war was almost over. And a sniper had my dad's friend in his sights. And my dad tells the story of this friend of my dad's friend stepping in front of the bullet and taking the bullet that would have killed him. Saving his life. My dad said that his friend, his friend Louie, never ever could get over the fact that that happened. It it was something that was indelibly impressed on his mind. And it, it, it stayed with him throughout his life. And you hear such stories. If someone was walking on the same street as you and somebody came to 
harm you and you had somebody step in front of you and take a bullet that would have saved your life and they died in your place, you would never stop telling that story to everybody that you came around. Our salvation by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, is not merely a story of our earthly lives being saved. It's a story of our eternal lives being saved by a God who reaches down into the depths and snatches us out of the depths of our sin and delivers us out from the eternity of wrath that each of us would have had forever in hell and saving us and instead saying, no, you're going to spend eternity in heaven with me all because I am a gracious God and I am choosing to display my glorious grace in your life. Brothers and sisters, we ought to be walking around amazed. We ought to be walking around never ceasing to tell the tale about what God has done in your life and saving you. Because every Christian story is life from the dead. That's what grace alone means. Grace alone also means this, point two. Your salvation, your salvation is a gift you've received, not an accomplishment achieved. Grace alone means your salvation is a gift you've received, not an accomplishment achieved. Tom did a great job reading from Romans 4, the passage about when someone is is given their paycheck their wages are given as they're due. And as, as opposed to that, God's grace is, is a free gift. It, it's not earned. It's not merited. It, it's not a paycheck of God giving you something that you deserve. God's grace is a free gift that we don't deserve. And as such, it is a gift that we receive. And we receive that gift by faith. And we marvel all of our days at the mercy of God. And we give Him all the glory and say, God, You did it all. Jesus, You paid it all. You did it all. And I ascribe my change wholly to You. But what we have to understand in this, brothers and sisters, is that we we all tend to, by nature, be merit hunters. We're looking for some grounds in ourselves to say that God saved me because of something intrinsically in myself. And you'll, 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 people will say, listen, I am fine with it being 99.999% God, but it was 0.0001%. Just, oh, just give me that. Just give me that. 0.1% me. Grace alone is saying, you know what, God, no. It was 100% you. And you chose me in Christ from before the foundation of the world. And you look at this phrase again and again and again in Ephesians chapter 1. For the praise of his glorious grace. And for the praise of his glorious grace alone. It, it, 
our salvation doesn't point to, you were a little bit smarter, a little bit better. God saw something, a little diamond in the rough he saw in you, and that's why he chose you in Christ. Because he, and some will say this, God looked down the quarters of time and and saw that you would repent and believe and chose you based off of that foreknowledge. No, brothers and sisters, the foreknowledge of God merely means that God knew you and loved you beforehand. Even before he created you, he he knew you in your mother's womb and he chose you in Christ, Ephesians 1 says, from before the foundation of the world. We, like Spurgeon, need to labor hard to ascribe our change wholly to God because you see it in that quote I read in the beginning. Spurgeon was a, a merit hunter, just like we all can be. And we can think, well, you know, I prayed and I read the Bible and I did this and I did that and I believed. But brothers and sisters, even the faith that we exercise in laying hold of Christ is a gift of God's grace. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 8 and a verse many of you have probably memorized. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's almost like God's just trying to graciously but firmly just drive this point home into our souls because we tend to be merit hunters. This is not Your own doing. This is not your own doing, CB. This is all my doing. We need to give up the quest to find that .0001% and say, that was my doing. God chose me because of that. Because brothers and sisters, that .001% doesn't stay 0.001%. It starts to dominate and take over our lives and we start to act like we are entitled and that God owed it to us to save us when he didn't owe us anything at all. Brothers and sisters, the only thing that we deserve as sinners is the eternity in hell that God saved us from. That's all we deserve. Sola gratia, grace alone means that God put forward His Son up on the cross, punished Him in your place, poured out the justice against your sin and mine on Him, and then says, you know what, I'm going to forgive Him, I'm going to forgive her of all of her sins, and I'm going to declare her, I'm going to declare Him righteous in Christ, all because of what my Son has earned. Can you say, and can you sing, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He, He washed it white as snow. Your salvation, grace alone means your salvation is a gift you've received, not an accomplishment you achieved. One illustration I use to describe this is there's one perfect team in NFL history. Does anybody know who it is? Yeah. Do you know what year? The 72 Dolphins were the only perfect team. Yeah, they were, yep. They were perfect in 1972. They are the only perfect NFL team ever. A couple years ago, the New England Patriots almost had a greater perfect season, but uh, blew it in the last game against the New York Giants uh, in a game that was most memorable. And man, it just makes me feel so bad for New England that they lost that. 
not. (laughs) The 72 Dolphins, every year when the last NFL team of the current season loses their first game and everybody gets their first loss, and they know that their only perfect season back in 72 is preserved, they throw a party because they are the only perfect team, and they brag about it and boast in it and love it. When we think of God's grace and we think of grace, what we need to understand is we have have a sin problem, and we need forgiveness for that, but we also have a lack of righteousness problem. The only person that gets into heaven is somebody who's perfect. Who's lived a perfect life. Has perfect righteousness. That's the only person that gets into heaven. Who has perfect righteousness. We tend to think that, you know what? If I have to grade my life and how I lived, I think I was probably about 8 and 8, 7 and 9. Um... Ah, 12 and 4, I'm a pretty good person. If we're really bad, we tend to think, you know what? Maybe I'm 1 in 15. Brothers and sisters, every single one of us have broken God's law, and every single one of us, we are not the 72 Dolphins. We are the 85 Cincinnati Bengals. 0 and 16 for the season. And there's been many teams that have gone 0 and 16 since then. Grace is not God saying, okay, you're 0-16, let me give you a new season and bring you back to 0-0 and and now, have a better season now. And grace is not God saying, oh, you were 8-8, that's pretty good, well, I'll let you in. And God saving us, grace is like taking an 0-16 team and completely forgiving all of the defeat and the loss and the failure. And it doesn't just bring you back to zero and zero. The shed blood of Christ on the cross forgives you of all your sin, but that would merely take care of your sin problem that needed to be atoned for. How could you possibly have your lack of righteousness problem taken care of? God, in saving us, has chosen to declare Christ's perfect season of righteousness to our account, taking us from the 0-16 reality of who we are, not back to simply 0-0, but he takes us all the way to 16-0, which is what the 72 Dolphins record was, winning the Super Bowl, credited with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the perfect season, the perfect man, and saving us with that righteousness. Brothers and sisters, that salvation story is meant to cause each and every one of us to marvel and to look and say, God, I owe my salvation completely to the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for crediting his perfect season to my account. Aren't you so thankful that God has not only forgiven you all of your sins of your 0-16 season, but he's also granted unto you the righteousness the perfect righteousness of Christ. 
I was talking with one of the brothers in the church about this. Me and John Shade were hanging out and talking, and, and he was talking to me about this. And it, it's not like Christ won the Super Bowl with like a last-minute field goal either. There was never an incomplete pass during his entire season. Every offensive play was a touchdown. A touchdown of righteousness. Now, credit it to you. Every defensive play was a sack for a safety. He resisted every temptation and actually fulfilled all righteousness. Every game was a blowout. Shutting his opponents out and achieving for us a righteousness that's been credited to us by grace alone, through faith in Christ alone. Aren't you so thankful for his amazing grace? How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Your salvation is a gift you've received. It's not an accomplishment that you and I have achieved. We need to empty ourselves of being merit hunters and like Spurgeon, ascribe our change wholly to God. Grace alone means this, point three. You've been changed from a child of wrath to a child of God. This is, a, this is a status change. Ephesians 2, verse 4 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. This making us alive together with Christ speaks of our union with Christ through faith, where just the verse prior to that in verse 3, it talks about how bad our condition was in our Owen 16 season, we were described here by God's word as by nature, we were children of wrath. What's glorious is that through elsewhere in scripture, you see that this description of children of wrath, when we are saved by grace alone, God saves us and actually transforms us from children of wrath into children of God. We are adopted into God's very family. There's a status change that takes place that stays with us forever. And I was just marveling at this as I was just preparing this sermon. I'm just thinking, I've been transformed from a rebel to a child. God's like, I'm going to create, I'm going to create CB. And then CB rebelled, deserving justice. And God says, I'll send my son to die in his place on the cross instead of him bearing the wrath and justice. And so Jesus bears the justice and the wrath. And God says, I'm going to earn the perfection through my son's sinless life and perfect fulfillment of the law. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give it to CB as a free gift of grace received by faith. And not only that, it's not like he just declares us righteous and kind of keeps us in the courtroom and says, okay, you're now declared righteous. Stay in the courtroom now. I'm the judge and you're declared righteous and you're going to go to heaven. But you know what? I'm going to keep you in a separate room while I go back. And just I'm still kind of a little displeased with you. I'm glad I saved you, but you're kind of in another room. I'm going to go elsewhere and be with my fam. God says, no, out of the courtroom. You're coming into the family room. You go from child of wrath to child of God. An adopted son and daughter forever for the glory 
of our awesome God. Your status has changed from a child of wrath to a child of God. Brothers and sisters, isn't this glorious? This is something to get excited about, that God would have loved us so much. So grace alone means every Christian story is life from the dead. Grace alone means your salvation is a gift you've received, not an accomplishment achieved. Thirdly, grace alone means you've been changed from a child of wrath to a child of God. And finally, grace alone means you can come before your holy God with confidence. Because God has saved you by his grace alone, you have been saved, as Hebrew says, to the uttermost. God has declared you righteous. He has forgiven you of all of your sins. And he has brought you out from the courtroom, declared righteous, and into the family room, united to Christ by faith. One with Christ Jesus, his son, and actually the father delights to adopt you as his precious daughter, his precious son, beloved. And you are loved now with an everlasting love. And so sola gratia, grace alone, means that God not only lays hold of you and takes hold of you, he keeps hold of you. And not only does he keep hold of you in the present, he also promises that he's never going to let you go. If salvation was up to us, even .001%, we would never have the confidence of knowing he did it all. If it was in part something that we had to do, and not something that Christ had already done, we would never be able to be assured that we would really be able to make it to heaven in the end. (coughs) But the good news, brothers and sisters, is Jesus did in fact pay it all. And we can worship and praise Him for His amazing grace that He saved us and saved us to the uttermost. He's not only going to, He not only saves you, but He sustains you and secures you. He seals you. He lays hold, he keeps hold, and he never lets go. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand, Jesus says in John chapter 10. Brothers and sisters, this is an awesome, awesome God to love us this much. Carl Truman writing about this says, The grace of God here is not simply the fact that God sent forth his own son to be a sacrifice. If that were not in itself amazing enough, it is the incarnate, it is that the incarnate son even now, continues to intercede for us on the basis of his sacrifice. He's interceding for you right now, beloved. It's not just something that happened in the past. It's a living reality right now. Truman writes, God is terrifying and awesome in his absolute holiness. Yet, because of his grace manifest in Christ, we are urged to approach him in confidence. Yes, we are. We are urged to approach him in confidence. I want to read to you Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 23. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Amen. Encapsulating this confidence and this assurance that we can have in Christ Jesus. The Heidelberg Catechism asks this. What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ, who with His precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and redeemed me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my Father in heaven, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, that all things must work together for my salvation. Wherefore, by His Holy Spirit, He also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live unto Him. Brothers, we have confidence Sisters, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by grace alone. Let us, as Hebrews 4 verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If I can have the worship band return, we're going to close in worship. So I'll close our eyes. There's some of us here who may be lacking confidence. Lacking confidence of your salvation. Look to Christ, my dear friend. Look to Him and see Him hanging there for you on the cross. Look to Him and see Him risen from the grave. And know this. That all of your sins have been fully punished in Christ on the cross if you believe. Know this, that all of your guilt has been atoned for. Know this, that all of your lack of righteousness has been fully supplied with perfect righteousness that God the Father has chosen to credit to your account. He's imputed it to you, not because you're a better person than anybody else in this world, but freely by His grace He's done this. So great is His love for you. And so now you can sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And you can sing that song knowing that He laid hold of you and He dug you up from the depths. Deeper than the Marianas Trench, He brought you up out of your sin. And He has set your feet on a rock. Jesus Christ is your rock. And you are on firm ground not sinking sand because Christ has finished this glorious work grace says it is finished over your life so that you can worship him and draw near with confidence to the throne of grace let's stand let's stand almighty God we give you glory and praise for all that you've done thank you that our salvation is not dependent upon us 
but is wholly dependent upon you and your finished work on the cross and your resurrection from the dead. Thank you so much, Almighty God, that you have chosen to save us by your grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Receive our worship and our praise with thankful hearts that are blown away that you would have loved us and that you would have raised us from spiritual death to spiritual life. Glory to your name and glory to your name alone, we pray. Amen. Church, let us sing with joy.